Good morning. My name is Renika Cheney, and the reading today comes from Daniel 1, 1 through 21. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And of the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they, they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them, and among all of them none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom." And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. This is the word of the Lord. Again, thank you, Renika, for reading that long passage. And um, typically we'll try to read as much as we can to give you the context. And this first chapter is very important as we go through this sermon series through the book of Daniel. And just like we did with Jonah, this is a survey of sorts. We're not going to go through the whole book. Um, we're not going to get into the apocalyptic literature that you'll find in chapter 7 and 8 through the end. Um, we, we, we can do that like at a Bible study or something. That, that gets real involved there. Um, 
But what we're going to do is look at these chapters, these first six or seven chapters, having determined whether we're going to do chapter seven, and kind of take um, some of the stories and truths out of them, just like we did with Jonah. I trust that in some of your community groups and some of the Bible studies that may be going on or started up or in your own study time, um, that you would look into it. Um, I am um, doing a, there are two commentaries, um, one um, done by um, James um, Boyce, um, and then another one, um, I can't remember the guy's name, but um, it's the Reform Expository um, series, and if you just want to know what I'm reading, and you want to read it yourself, it is not, especially the Reformed one, Boyce is a little more difficult, but the one I'm, other one I'm using is easy to read. And so I recommend it if you just want to follow along and get deeper and get all into the weeds, that's fine. Enjoy it. Um, so if you want that, please just email us at the office and I can give you those books because um, I want you to go deeper. Then I'm able to even go deeper, deep here. Um, so as we start a new sermon series, um, while the book, um, Howard Brown, the pastor, Christ Central, by the way, sorry. And uh, while the book and prophet, we just finished Jonah, Jonah was a northerner, the northern kingdom. Daniel was from the southern kingdom, also known as Judah. So Israel was split into two kingdoms right now, one people, two nations, two kings, two centers of worship, one God, one real big mess. As this weakness within, marked by distance and strife between each other, and most importantly between them and their God, it made them uh, easy pickings for the rising kingdoms around them, Assyria, uh, where Jonah had to go and preach, the capital of Nineveh there, and then Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq, who would eventually swallow up, Babylon would eventually come and swallow up Assyria and dominate the Middle East for a little while before Persia comes along and takes their shot at it. It's about 600 B.C. in the Middle East. And the Bible describes Daniel and his fellow exiles this way in verse 3. It says, Then the king commanded... This is King Nebuchadnezzar, Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace. In other words, they were descendants of the royal family. They were their version of Ivy Leaguers, ruling class. But to the Babylonians, they were... Still, just Jews. A bunch of uncultured, lucky to still be here nation of monotheists. Because when it came to innovation and power and culture and class and artistry and brilliance and wealth of the Babylonian Empire, few Jews at that time could handle the progressive-minded schooling and culture of the Babylonians. And what Babylon did in taking these AP or IB or five-star high-functioning teenagers away from their native land was in large part a strategy of hostile takeover of a country and culture. Babylon was poaching for a D in reprogramming Israel's best to become Babylon's best, to make Babylon broadly better to, and to leave Judah weak and with less. But what Babylon and its upper mobility aggressive model failed to see was that though they might be tops by the world standards, the Lord of Daniel and his colleagues was the God. 
the God who created and rules the world, yet God had them, his people, to be exiles in his Bible story and plan. God was in power, but his people in this story were not. The Lord is God of heaven and earth, and God's people in this story and in this world find themselves as spiritual and ethical refugees, immigrants, homeless, renters, squatters, exiles. Through the story of Daniel, we get to see how God calls you and me to faithfully live in our countries and systems and communities and companies and governments and institutions and histories. The famous apologist Francis Schaeffer asked this profound question decades ago in the title of his book, how should we then live? How do we live life? As people who believe in God, how do we live with our whole lives, all of life here in this world, in this Babylon, if you will, as exiles? Well, three things this first chapter kind of gets us started in, and we'll cover a lot of this uh, through, through the whole, as we go through the book, so I can't cover everything. But, but first, we must live as those sent by God in this world. Sent by God. Secondly, as servants of God in this world. And finally, as secured by God in this world, right? Sent by God, first point. Servants of God, second. Secured by God, third. Look at verse 1 through 3 again with me. It says, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. And then we read the passage about how God had them come. And in verse 4, to get youths without blemish of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom and endowed with knowledge, right? Maybe you didn't know the backstory of how Daniel, and I'm going to call them his cousins, became exiles. But when King Zedekiah was king, the Bible tells us that he was afraid of the Assyrians coming through Israel to the north. And he wanted protection from them. And so he made somewhat of an underhand, sort of under the table, unofficial alliance with Babylon. He was thinking that the Babylonians would, would one day take care of the Assyrians for Israel, right? He wanted to be on the winning side of this formula. And so contrary to God's regulations about alliances with pagan nations, King Zedekiah let the officials of Babylon come and get a tour, if you will, right? To see all of his country's wealth of, of the top secret facilities, if you will, and armories and reserves and even sacred items. As a way to say, look, we with you. We can pay you back. We're, we're a small country, but, but we have a lot of resources. We are valuable to keep. But worse than that, he was saying, our God is behind you. We need more than him to survive. Our God and all he has given is at your disposal. If, you will say, if you'll save us from the Assyrians. And God didn't like that. So as a judgment, y'all, Right? As a judgment, the Lord lets Babylon come in for real eventually and take all the valuables that King Zedekiah tried to pawn off, including taking some of the royal next-level future leader family members and basically taking over the whole country to become part of the Babylonian Empire. Which means God's people 
wherever they are in this world, in their Babylon, should know that where we are, how we are, it's not an accident. It is not by chance. It was not just sin, even though it played a large part, as you can tell, that landed us here. It was God's sovereign decision for you and me to live here in this age, in this time, to be here right now in what is a fallen world. You weren't just accidentally a part of this world. God sent you in this world through his sovereign choice. If we look at some of the prophets that were speaking about what God was about to do, especially speaking to the leaders and kings of the southern kingdom of the time, we would see that this was all promised by God as a judgment, that they, because of their sin, would be overthrown and carried away. And look again at verse 1 and 2 and how it reads. It says, in the year, third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. But look carefully at verse 2. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels in the treasury of, sorry, some of the vessels of the house of God. And he, right, Nebuchadnezzar brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. The Lord gave gave those to him. It's very important for us to recognize the setup here because if, if we don't, we'll begin to think that where we are and when we go through troubles and when we have issues is an accident. No, the Bible says the Lord gave Nebuchadnezzar power over his people. It could read as well, the Lord gave the king of Babylon access to everything, including Daniel and his friends. God gave what and who were precious to him over to Babylon. Yes, we live in, run, in a run and ruined, by, ruined world by, by living contrary to how God would have us live, but we live in a world ultimately ruled by the, God's, God's, the, the Lord's sovereign decisions and choices. I don't know. But as I was reading this, I was having a hard time, y'all. Because I've been in evangelicalism for a long time. Whenever discussions of, of racism or sexism or slavery or history come up, I always get the same answer. It was God's sovereign plan. Right? So I don't want to preach this. I was writing some of my pastor friends. I'm like, I don't want to preach God's sovereign plan, especially as a descendant of slaves. Oh, it was God's sovereignty to bring here, you here so you could find Jesus, see? Right? So I don't want to preach this in the presence of other people so they can have an excuse, right? Or so I can feel bad, right? So I have to realize this. It's a hard one to swallow. And maybe for you it is something else. Maybe for you your job is difficult right now. Maybe being a stay-at-home parent is a downer, right? Glad the kids went off, right? You got a degree and you're just sitting at home, right? It feels like that some days. What am I doing with my life? Maybe the school and class and lack of friends you have right now is tough. We just don't want to hear this. But this might help. God didn't and doesn't just manage the movement of bodies at the whim 
of mankind's sinfulness and desires. Like mere objects in a divine chess match. He is ruling, y'all. As if his plan and his you, the people in that plan, are precious to him. Know what that means? Important and seen by him. And that's what this book is in part teaching. The vessels mentioned in verse 2 would be described as devoted to God, as holy, as precious, as a treasure of God, as his belongings. How much more you people who are exiled in this world? Daniel and his cousins, like many of us, must have struggled with this a million times about why, God. Why are we here? We didn't do nothing wrong, right? We didn't show the kings the the treasury. We didn't do, we we just was living here, learning the Bible, growing up in our bougie world. Why us? We went to class. We got the A's. Why us? Here's the thing. And this Daniel has some hard lessons. The Bible says and teaches that you and I don't have to understand completely why. Or why now? Or why you were given that way? Or why you were sent to America in this period of history or to do this job? Most of the times, why is not revealed to us? The Bible teaches us that. And I'm going to tell you, if you have Christians going around telling you why, for everything, Run. You know why this happened? Well, I think God is telling me. No, you don't know. Hush. When they start shaking their hand and doing their eyes, run. Why they got the eyes closed, go before they see you. Right? I'm going to tell you why this person's president. I'm going to tell you why this person didn't. I'm, hush. You don't know. But we do know God had them put there for a reason. And it may not come to us until much later. And maybe sometimes in hindsight, in the testimony of things, we say, you know what? If this didn't happen, this wouldn't happen. And this wouldn't happen. Praise God. But when you're in the middle of that thing happening, you don't know why. It just feels hard. It just feels wrong. Sometimes it feels unjust. And Daniel and his friends definitely did feel like objects in the temple at that time. But remember, they were precious to the Lord. So it doesn't tell us why. You just need to understand and believe as exiles in who. My life is precious wherever I am. There's a point to my life, right? There's a value to my life wherever I am as God's child because of who he is. That just because we're removed here or we're in this tough situation here, it does not change the one who values us and that's the Lord who actually sent us where we are. I can always know. My God. My father, who sees me and knows where I'm going because he's actually, his hand is on sending me there and being here, is in control. 
And I'm saying that right now because this will come back over and over through Daniel. Like, we're over here, God. We knew you back in in Israel, right? Lord, are you here? Yes, I am. Are you in control in this nation, in Babylon? Yes, he is. That he sent us here as second point here, to live in exiles as servants, submissive and subversive servants for the Lord. Okay, y'all, y'all know this language is hard for me. Okay, I'm 47. I ain't a millennial. I ain't a Gen Y or Z or whatever. I'm still sensitive. All right? My dad has a tour. He'd be telling you all about the slaves and where they were, and, and this servant here, and, and they had to build the separate kitchen because servants used to drop hot coals in the ground to burn the whole house down. You know, it's just like, this is my life, y'all. But let's see what God says about it. Again, look at verse 3, and we're going to kill some of these verses today, so, meaning we're going to read them a lot. So then the king commanded Ashpenaz, I guess that's how you say his name, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility. Youths without, it's hard saying that word, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. Mishael he called Meshach. And Azariah he called Abednego. These four teenagers, we're, mad, we're thinking they're probably 17 or so, right? It was college time, y'all. <laughs> they did in three years, right? Some of y'all did in four, five, six, seven, right? And still might not have come out with nothing. But anyway, moving on, moving on. <laughs> it's funny, I was reading, when I was hearing this passage read, and I read this passage like 10 times before I, you know, I read it a lot before I preach and all, but... And it's the first time I heard that they were among those who were taken. So obviously there were more people taken, right? So just, just an interesting thing. But these four teenagers with story focus on were enculturated to become the best, hear me, Babylonian servants they could be to serve, the Bible says, in the king's court. They didn't come to rule. They came to serve. And that meant respecting, right? And therefore being knowledgeable about Babylonian culture and religion and policy. And then, and then that made them able to best serve in that administration, right? Literature back then, when it says they learned the literature of the Chaldeans, right? Literature back then was more than stories. Most of it was religious stories that would give you an understanding of how and why things are what they are. They went to the Babylonian school of philosophy and theology at the time, right? They went to Hogwarts. Is that right? Right? They went to the school with Gandalf and all them, right? I'm mixing stories. Merlin? Dumbledore. 
That same actor played somebody else and something else. I'm confused. Just keep going. I'm mixing my stuff up. And you nerds, y'all going to tell me, you know, this right. I'm leaving now. I need a pastor who knows what he's talking about. He's mixing up Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter and everything. You'll be all right. But they were also given food from the king's table, right? It mentioned meat and wine especially. It was their version of the Lord's Supper. So it's more than this three square meals a day. Sacrifice to idols, most likely this food was thought to have spiritual power and grace from their Babylonian gods and then having their names changed. Makes you think of Malcolm X, right? Who are you? My name, Malcolm. Little. No. You from the lost tribe of Shabazz. Y'all remember that from the movie? Maybe I'm too old. Y'all don't remember that. Who are you, right? What's your name? That's the slave name, right? That's what happened. They got the slave name. My last name is Brown. Why? Not because when I was brought from wherever, West Africa, right, that, hey, here's the Brown family, chain them up, let's go. No, it didn't work like that. My dad showed me the logs. It's like five, eight, 200 and something pound black male, right? Boom. Right? That was it. Then I got the last name Brown from some tea plantation, right? We figured it out. The Brown family. They had all their original names and had spiritual meanings grounded in them in their godly heritage, y'all. So this is more than just what we see happening in American history. This is like spiritual history here. So let's take it to the next level. Don't just stay down to the next level. All their original names had spiritual meanings and grounded them in their godly heritage. Daniel means God is my judge. Hananiah means the Lord is gracious. Michelle means who is what God is. Who is what God is, right? And Azariah means the Lord is a helper. And the Babylonian names, I, don't, I can't break them all down. They're kind of difficult. They were given, Belshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were all names, and I wonder if we'll keep saying them, were all names that contained, and as one commentary said, invoked. Right? That means call upon in prayer as an invocation, right? The names of the Babylonian gods and just saying those names. Just like saying their names. Hey, how you doing? A bit? How you doing, um, uh, Azariah? You, you said Azariah? The Lord is our helper. Magic go around. Hey, how you doing? The Lord is my helper. All right, hallelujah, right? Do you use a little song and dance, right? But if you were to say their names, right? Hey, Belshazzar. Hey, how you doing? The God of Babylon's the greatest, right? Let's face it. Like them, in our own way. We'll just go call it America, in America. We've all submitted ourselves. And been submitted and been indoctrinated to what it means to live in this broken world. In our country. Our identities, right? In our city, in our neighborhood, in our jobs, in our professions, as students in the school and social circles, our ethnicities and genders and our worldly cultures, we have swallowed and then been transformed and put new meanings on our identifiers, what it means to be black or white or male or female or admin or executive, IB, remedial or support staff. We have been immersed and sometimes outwardly packaged in this world's philosophical and logistical roles, not all comfortable to us or good to us, to be as used as servants of God in and to 
this world. The Apostle Paul said, in a more sanctified understanding of it all, I've become all things to all men so as to reach them, to save them, to serve them. That to the Jew, I become that much more Jewish. And when I'm in the Gentile world, Gentile, right, that we are informed and impacted by our culture. This is going to be a hard one. That's why you need a whole book. Because you're like, wait a minute. My identity is in Christ. Really? Go to work at the Bank of America and try to swipe your Jesus card. Bring your Bible in. You know that little swipe thing they got? I see all y'all at lunch with, with the little pull thing. I always wondered what's up them elevators. You ever wonder when you go up those elevators, they just partying? You know, and then the computer's really doing all the work. Yeah, all right. And then they come down and, right? No, they're not. I'm sure they're not. Right? There's a big pool up there or something. But, like, go and say, hey, I'm a Christian. Whoop, whoop, with the Bible. Won't even fit in the slot. You might have to use your little ribbon thing. Whoop, whoop. And you know what happens when you do that? They're going to be like, sir, come on. We all bear names that aren't our core identity. We all wear packaging that, and I know I'm getting way ahead of ourselves here, but we all wear packaging that one day Jesus is going to take off, right? So it's packaging for this season for you to serve where you are. To be. I don't want to simplify something so complex, and we'll peel the onion more as we go through this series, but we have to get in and go in where we fit in. As REM said a couple of decades ago, stand in the place where you live. Right? We must embrace the intersectionality between belonging to God and a kingdom not of this world, and at the same time being called to serve by submitting to and engaging this fallen and broken world for its good and God's glory. See, it ain't easy. We got a lot of work. I'm, my mind is swimming as I'm preaching. Like, what's this supposed to mean, right? I was reading about the servant thing and discovered that the words, this, it gets tougher here. Ready? That the words used for the person who trained Daniel and then for what Daniel would basically become is eunuch. Oh, y'all scared of eunuch. I know. I'm scared too for obvious reasons. In Hebrew, it's interchangeable here for servant. Eunuch means you're emasculated, right? right? Now, the scripture does not explicitly say that Daniel and friends went through the physical degendering process of becoming a eunuch. But historically, it would make more sense if they did. In fact, it would have made more sense for the king of Babylon to castrate the aristocracy of Israel in his court, the sterilized future leaders who would have children who would be able to challenge his excellence. He thought he was going to rule Israel forever. But here's the point. Let's not get into that. Pastor Brown, I didn't see that in Scripture. No, you didn't. But you did say chief eunuchs was teaching Daniel how to serve as a eunuch, right? Underneath him, right? So just a thought. I read it in a couple of commentaries. The point is this. 
being submissive to this world means being like a eunuch. That you and I live and work here without your personal agenda and desires being first. Oh, I'm sorry y'all heard the wrong gospel. See, see, I don't want to criticize other churches and preachers, but sometimes you hear sermons that are really about you doing you. The Bible calls not you to do you, but you to be a eunuch. Right? But with the, where, where you, it's about the best interest of those around you, who you work with and who you work for, and most importantly, for the Lord, right? That contrary to all the marketing, being and doing what you do is not primarily about you or your prosperity or your agenda or your, here's the language you like using in the church, your destiny. Your destiny is being in exile, serving the Lord in submissive role. I can go ahead and tell you your destiny now. <laughs> right? And let me, let me, I have to be honest, some of those eunuch roles pay more. Yeah? Some eunuch roles are about leading and being up front and being in charge and having a big office, but it's still the same thing in different places with different amount of zeros at the end of the paycheck. You are still called not to do what you do for you. You don't and can't and shouldn't just do you. As an exile living for the Lord in this world, that is removed, eunuch. That's gone. Your life in this place is submitted to God's service and not only in, but, but to this world for his glory. Where you want me to serve, Lord? I ain't got nothing. But what you tell me to do here? And you almost have to, this, this sounds crazy. I want us to be careful here because I, I tell you, Daniel is razor sharp in, in some of the ways you balance this stuff. And we're going to see, I promise we'll see some more of this. But it's sort of like you go to work and you're like, how can I serve? Right? But there's some stuff in that. Right? We're not saying, hey, how can I serve? Take my heart too. Right? We'll get to that. Are you a servant? The world needs who you are in relation with the God wrapped in all of, it, all of its identifiers and titles and stratum to serve it with stuff. Now hear me. To give it stuff that is not defined by them. Right? To give them stuff that they are not able to get outside of you but can only happen if you go to work or when you go to school and play on the team and do your job and care for those around you with submissive integrity and desired know-how for God's glory and their good, you should know your job. Don't be going in there with the Bible talking about, I don't need to know my job, you know, I'm going to glory. What? <laughs> don't worry about going to glory until you do stuff for God's glory. Right? Some of y'all are so slack. I get slack too. Sometimes at home working on a commentary, I'm like, like, should I call this person or should I get through this level of the video game? Right? <laughs> Maybe I should. Sometimes I got I to gotta go to the office. I got to get to a coffee shop. I can't do it. Some of y'all, y'all just be slacking off. You know why you're slacking off? Because you think it's about you. Right? You think it's just about that company. It's about God's glory. That's why you're there. 
So that's why Daniel, for three years, they learned the stuff. Do you know your company policy? Do you know your job the way you should? Are you keeping up with what's going on right? Even if you had stayed home parent, do you know the latest Lego, right? Do you know which ones choke the kids, right? <laughs> Maybe that formula's bad. We don't know. Maybe that diaper rubs something. I don't know. You should figure it out. I emphasize that this is servant, that you're servant of the Lord, because serving as an exile in this world also means be subversive. That point submissive took too long. But th there is a hint of the subversive nature of God's servant in this world that is easy to miss. And if we look at verse 2 again, it says, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into Nebuchadnezzar's hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And then he brought those vessels into the place and temple of his God. All right, I know it's easy to miss, y'all. Some of you who, some of y'all been to Hawaii, right? Or you know someone from Hawaii? Or you're like me, you've never been to Hawaii, but you're old enough to remember the episode of the Brady Bunch <laughs> when Peter took the idol home. Y'all remember that? I think Alice burned the pancakes or something, just something like, and they tell you apparently, do not take the sand, the stones, don't take, especially, don't take no idol, right? Back home, and Peter's like, I like it. He put it in his bag, and he brought it back home, and the Brady Bunch was having all kind of trouble, right? They call it Pele's curse. That you don't take sand or rocks home from Hawaii, or there will be a curse on you. Well, when you read the Old Testament stories, it becomes a curse for you to take or steal the devoted, precious vessels of God like the Ark of the Covenant. But that includes his people. If it's a vessel or an ark, how much more the people of God? Daniel and his cousins, right, were, as we said in the first point, precious to the Lord. That, that was not a throwaway comment. That means they were holy to the Lord. They, they were vessels of the Lord. They were devoted to the Lord, which meant to take them into your kingdom for your less than godly purposes as they serve and submit is like taking and bringing the holy God of Israel into your space, into judging, redeeming, but also rearranging and blowing up your stuff. You bring the sovereign rule and purpose of God in when God's people are there to serve. Someone should have told King Nebuchadnezzar, don't be like Peter on the Brady Bunch. That when you bring God's people into your company, into your service, into your society, into your culture, as vessels of their God, you bring a living and activist, all-powerful, true, and on-mission God in them because as his vessels, he lives in and through them. It's easy not to see because they are submissive servants, right? In, in space, in, in your space, for, for Nebuchadnezzar's good, and the New Testament says the incredible power and presence of God in his kingdom is in, as the Bible describes it, in vessels or jars of clay. That they may not look like much or easy to use. Oh, let's get this one work in our company, right? Uh, right. Or in this case, Daniel, they're excellent choices for what the world and its institutions think will make their plan and purposes great. But in you, God's people, and some of you right in here, is the explosive eternal God of all things, and he comes with mercy and judgment and grace and rule through your lives. You might think that who you are and where you are is not much. 
You might think leading your company is all about what you or that company or community wants, but if you're a believer, serving and submitting your gifts and abilities in this world, you are doing so with the living God inside of you. He goes with you and in you and his kingdom comes through and from you as you go where you go in this world. Now, I don't want to sound corny, but I want you to remember some will be corny. So at the risk of sounding, whatever, God calls you to be the bomb in this world. See, I told you it was corny. That's all right. I even had a little sermon titled, The Bomb. Right now. Be the bomb, right? Like T-shirts, be the bomb in the world. No. I'm a Gen Xer. That's corny, cynical. I'm corny. Terrible. But you're called to be the bomb in this world, in your workplace, and whatever you do to serve and submit and care and be innovative. In fact, verse 17 tells us that God gave them the ability to be the bomb, to be excellent, to be the creme de la creme in their cup of tea. He equipped them to be the greatest servants in their area, to be subversive. God calls you to be the bomb in what and how you do it so you can be in a strategic and impactful place to explode and leak God's glory and power and grace and truth and justice and mercy and righteousness into all the world into every space you go. God snuck you in. But this only happens if God secures this last point. Look, look, y'all, I talked about this earlier. Babylon is no joke. They were the best. They had all the rewards, all the spoils. Let me tell you, going back home to Israel after you've been to Babylon, you don't want to go back home. I think we kind of look at the Bible like, oh, you know, Babylon's so evil. Man, they had everything. They had all the spoils and pleasures for being successful in serving you could ever want. They had a proven record of being a winning place to work and a winning kind of people to be. Their executive program training was second to none. Babylon got that quan, right? They got that umami. They got that swag. So if you were to sell out and cash out your identity and beliefs for more, for this world and for the ideas of the world, Babylon is the place to do it. It makes sense. When, when Daniel and them went there, they're like, hey, man. This place kind of fly. I'm here. I, they, they can call me Belshazzar. I don't care what they call me. <laughs> you see this suit they gave me, bro? <laughs> Shoot, man. That meat and that wine? They gave me the fillet mignon, right? <laughs> With the mascato, right? That's for y'all. What am I saying? There is no earthly way or reason Daniel and his cousins should not have assimilated and fallen away from God and go and be taken the Babylonian way all the way. Understand that this was an assimilation track that they were going through and learning all of the Babylonian ways. And just focus on the food here for a minute. It was not that it was that much more nutritious, right? I'm sure it was. That Daniel said no, right? I'm sure the food from the king's table had the better kind of calorie count and brain food and all of that. But more than its properties, right? It was what 
it would do in eating it, not just to the body, but its intent was as you eat it and drink it, that you would somehow begin to believe what Babylon was about was a thing giving you value and security. I've eaten at nice restaurants over the years, probably can count on 10 hands. But in those moments, 10 hands, sorry, fingers. <laughs> Agnes, why? You like to call people out, I'm calling you out, Agnes. I said a couple of jokes, you didn't laugh. You laughed at the mistake. If I can count on 10 hands, I've been a lot of nice places, right? Thank you for straightening it out. You want to finish? I mean, no. Man, Babylon, I tell you. I'm just here trying to serve. Um, but, but it's funny, when you go to a nice place to eat for just a minute, you forget you don't belong there. You remember that time, the first time we paid off all our debt? <laughs> I love you, baby. That's us. The first time we paid off all our debt, we took some cash and went to that fancy restaurant. Shoot, man. Remember, we were the only black ones in there? Like, And as an African-American, you kind of know what I'm saying. You're like... Like we supposed to be there. I was eating that steak and we were like, sir, would you like to add lobster tail? Yes, I would. <laughs> Excuse me, can I get the wine list? Baby, get what you want. Right? I want that 20-year-old scotch. I want that, ah! Because it makes you do, it does something here, y'all. It isn't a nutrition. For a minute, I began to be valued. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, I want the life it takes to always be in this spot. Even though I ain't in that crew. It is designed to take as you eat it to believe it's feeding you what? The Babylonian hype. It was designed to take and eat your soul as you began to believe in its potency. And God gave Daniel wisdom to see that. And he and his cousins refused to eat the meat and drink the wine from the king's table and would only do vegetables. I don't know if I could do that. For 10 days. Now they are bucking the food plan that would make them fit and fat for the king's service. It doesn't make sense, y'all. But Daniel was seeking to save his heart for God. Now I know they make a big deal about the food being sacrificed to idols, but beyond that, this is about heart, right? By allowing and asking God to show him and others that only God will be true and strong to save and keep us and give us our core identity and give us our value and nothing else will or can. That we won't allow anything else to save us or keep us and give us a sense of worth that we will not give our souls to this kingdom even though it can have our service. That we will serve in Babylon, but we will not sell out to the king of Babylon. That the king of Babylon might be our new boss and have our hours and wisdom and even ingenuity, but he will not be our new God. Bottom line, Daniel is saying only the Lord God of Israel will keep us. And it's faithful. 
that our life comes from you, Lord, and nothing else, that I don't have to look at my paycheck, right, to know how I'm valued in here. So that if you call me to walk away from that paycheck, I'll leave with everything I came in with and nothing anybody could ever take away. The Bible tells us that after 10 days of being the only ones who didn't eat meat from the king's table, uh, this is what happens, verse 15. At the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh. Fatter, y'all. Didn't say lean. They were fat. Back then, if you were fat, that was good. I could have fit in that court. Okay. And appearance and fatter in flesh. I love that term. Oh, God, I'm fatter in flesh. Hallelujah. Okay. <laughs> then all the youth, it's a biblical thing, who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for the four youths, listen to this. God gave them learning and skill and all literature and wisdom. That same Babylonian literature. Right? Oh, that's crazy. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And what's funny about visions and dreams, y'all, is this is the way, the pagan way of understanding what God is saying is the visions and dreams. He gave them, him the ability to be the best in his company, even those visions and dreams back then, right? He could read them stock reports real good. Okay. Right? And then it said, uh, I lost. Okay. Uh, oh, 18. At the end of the time, and when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the, the, this is the test, y'all, right? This is, what do you call the thing at the end of your PhD? The orals? Yeah, this is the oral exam, right? And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found. Like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king, and every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired them, he found them ten times better than all the Dumbledores and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. Right? Harry Potter couldn't hang, right? God gave them what they needed. He was faithful to them in a very difficult, soul-sucking environment and world. This was for us. They didn't have to be consumed by their world and job and calling and dominating culture. God would be powerful. And this is the message of Daniel. God is going to be powerful and faithful to keep them as exiles. Do you and I know and believe and live that now? God got you. He's going to provide all you need to keep submitting and serving in a very trying place. That wants your soul, y'all. Even for some of the young people, and I'm telling you, some of you who are now like me in their 40s, late 40s, 50s, 60s, whatever you want, you know, older. I mean, some of the young people, these young folk, especially the ones working for the bank, I've talked to them. They're like, yes, I'm getting 70. I'm doing 70 hours a week. Like, that's good. Who are you? I don't know. I just go from home to Netflix, to the bar, to Netflix, to the job, to Netflix, to the bar, to hooking up, to blood. Like, it's nothing. And the company loves these empty bodies. With no souls, you're the best. And then after the first time, when you mess up, you're fired, or you got to go over here, or yo, you get a family and kids, sorry, right? I, um, there was a lady who went to our church, and she was a producer. She has an Emmy and all. Great, incredible. And then she went to her, um, her um, what's, uh, 
mentor in, in Los Angeles and said, you know, she was like, you got a chance to really make it and be this great TV producer, blah, blah, blah. And she goes, eh, but you're pregnant. Why did you choose to have kids? I can't recommend you for anything. You made a bad choice. You chose children? Why? The world wants you empty. She still won an Emmy, right? <laughs> She's still in TV with her kid. No, she might not have as many zeros. But here's the deal, y'all. God gave and was faithfully giving all she needed to do exactly what he had called her to do. And throughout Daniel, we'll see and learn and grow in what it means to exile our faith in spaces and situations where greed and evil pleasures and self-promotion and power are tempting and eating us alive. My sons are like, Dad, um, you, you think some basketball players are going to come to church today? I was like, son, I'm not that kind of preacher. Like, I don't have the celebrity. No, no, I, I want them here, man. <laughs> I'm talking about what I want, okay? I understand. I'm trying to be submissive, right? I'm trying to be a eunuch in this thing. I even wore my J's just in case. I had a chance, dress shoes or the J's? And I thought if I wore the J's, somebody come. They can sign it real quick. Gosh, y'all think I'm playing? This thing ain't easy. I want to be that, that celebrity pastor that got invited to the game, right? Where the church was like, here. Club seats. Oh, well. <laughs> this world offers so much, y'all. But if I preach a different message, maybe if I talked about y'all's destiny and you doing you and how God's there to back you to do what you want to do, and you can just do what you want to do, no church membership, no discipline, no Bible, read, reading about the word, no, no. Then I'd have a big church. I might be at the game. But I ain't at the game. I'm going to watch it. It seems impossible to succeed and not be like others and not cut corners and not lie and cheat and steal and deceive and be unjust like the meat and the wine and the learning. It will get too hard to not get with the American dream. Well, let's be honest. Who wouldn't want that? I got some bad truth for y'all. We've all sold out. We forgot our names. <laughs> we sold our souls and sold our God and ourselves short on a number of occasions. And I have too. Because I want something. Babylon got so much to offer, even preachers. In this world, it's hard to keep going into suffering and complications, what it means to be a believer in exile on the football team or on, at my school in this romantic relationship. Babylon is romantic relationships, y'all. Now, I'm going to stop short of saying Babylon is Valentine's Day, okay? I got in trouble about that. I'm sorry, baby. Valentine's is great. But Babylon, it's not a Hallmark holiday, I promise. It's God's way of us showing love. But <laughs> that didn't go off well. That didn't come off well at all. But let me keep going. Let me keep going. It's hard to keep going in the complications of even romantic relationships. You're going to give your body away. It's easy to give your soul away to that person because you want love so bad. 
or at my job or think I'm making a difference in my entry-level grunt position and I ain't doing nothing. Daniel found out that God is faithful in the pinch. When it comes to living as exile, again, we've all failed. So not just how we shall live, how, how we should live, how could we be expected to live holy and authentic as exiles? I want you to look at this last verse, and I'm going to wrap it up. Verse 21, and Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Just seems like chronology, throwaway detail, but King Cyrus was a king that ended the Babylonian reign. Y'all, in the very first chapter, God let us know that Daniel made it through. And here's the message of God's people. So will you. So will you. This book was written and read after the exile was over. So it was a lesson about God's faithfulness in the light of the Israeli failure. It was about God's possibilities more than how impossible the exile was. That God set, set us an example and Savior to assure us that he will keep us and has kept us holy in this world as exiles. God sent a Daniel for us to outlast and be faithful in this present world. Jesus is our Daniel. Have you thought about it? The only begotten son of God is our Daniel. He, sent, he was sent into a broken world and was enslaved and made captive to our brokenness. And the Bible says, made himself a servant, becoming submissive to living under the world's oppression and sin and administrations of life to the point of dying on the cross for God's hidden to many subversive purpose of saving us and declaring Jesus Lord and King. He gave himself to live here, to die here, and then more than outlast, but overcome and overthrow this world and all. All his powers, so that those who have him living in them will like him because of him and through him overcome in this world. So as our mission statement says, exiles, right? Engage. Be sent. Go serve. Be secure. Engage this world with a renewed dignity that only comes from Christ Jesus. Go back. Be sent back to your weak and world by God himself with a new hope and new fire, right? To serve and subvert and make it happen for God's glory, knowing he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. Christ has overcome the world. And so, so will you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us. That through the book of Daniel, you would teach us how we're called, how we're sent here. How we're called to be servants here. And how we're called to be secured in you, insecure in you here. Lord, it's going to miss us. As soon as we leave this door, we're going to be feeling like we're back in Babylon. But Lord, as we go back, I pray that you would help us to know that you got us. You're not going to let us fall to the point where we fall away from you. You're not going to lose us. You're not going to leave us and forsake us, even in things we don't see coming, even in places in our hearts that are unchecked, that we long to be something and sometimes sell you out, Lord. Thank you that when we are tempted to sell you out, you will never sell us out. Thank you for our Jesus Christ, our Daniel. 
He's our example, but he is also our Savior. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.